Hi, James. How was your day? Good. Good. I haven't had a chance to catch up with James, so. So good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. Lord, for the sweet time of worship that we've had. Lord, for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, we recognize, we know that every time we gather together, every time we open your word, you have something to say to our hearts that would encourage us, exhort us, convict us. Uh, whatever it is, Lord, that your spirit would have to do to us, we want to do for us. We want to have open ears to receive all of it. And so, Lord, bless our night, we pray. Give us not only information, but application in our lives, we pray as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there are times when we say we're going to pray about something, and before we get the answer, we move. Instead of waiting on the Lord, instead of saying, okay, Lord, what would you have me do? And waiting until we, we, we just step out and move. Or we're set, we say we're going to pray about something, and the Lord gives you the answer, and you do the opposite. Well, that's our story tonight that we'll see is the Jews ask the Lord if they should continue fleeing to Egypt, even though they have no intentions of obeying Him. Uh, and so uh, we'll see that in the next chapter, chapter 42. But here, Jeremiah, he's in his 60s. He's been warning the nation for over 40 years that the Babylonians would one day come and, and wipe out the nation of Judah as a judgment from God and their sins. And that day had come. We read about it last time together in chapter 39. The Babylonians had laid siege to Jerusalem for 30 months before they broke down a portion of the city walls and entered the city. Then the end came July 18th, 586 B.C. King Zedekiah. Uh, Kiah tried to flee with a group of soldiers, but he was caught near the city of Jericho and brought before King Nebuchadnezzar for judgment at the city of Riblah. And his leaders and his sons were killed right in front of him. And then his eyes were gouged out. Last thing he saw with his eyes before he was taken in chains off to Babylon was the death of his sons. And really that's all because he would not listen to the Lord, listen to the words that Jeremiah had said to him. And he refused. And the cleanup period of Nebuchadnezzar's campaign against Judah has now begun. Judah is now a Babylonian province, and the king set up a governor, a Jew, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Gedaliah, and he made his capital of the city of Mizpah, eight miles north of Jerusalem. Now we saw last time together that Gedaliah was warned by a man named Johanan that there was a man named Ishmael that wanted to assassinate him. And Gedaliah did not believe his threat. Oh, come on, he's not going to do anything to me. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 41. Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family and of the officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakam, and Mizpah. And there they ate bread together in Mizpah. What we have going on here is some fake fellowship, some deceitful dining, maybe some lying laguini. I, I don't know. It's... it's it's not what it appears here. You know, I got, hey, get a lie. Let's eat together, buddy, old pal. Come on over. Let's get together. Back then, eating together spoke of a, of a oneness and a loyalty and a trust. Now, notice what it says here about Ishmael. It says he was the royal of the royal family. That means that he was an heir to the throne of David. He had a right to the throne. And Gedaliah was just a governor appointed, you know, by a pagan, no royalty at all, just the guy Nebuchadnezzar put in charge. So you can imagine the, the jealousy and the envy brewing in Ishmael's heart. Everyone's gone. He feels he's a rightful heir and he's going to go for it. Look at verse 2. 
Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him, arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakam, the son of Shaphan, with a sword, and killed him, who the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is, with Gedaliah at Mizpah, the Chaldeans who were found there, the men, and the Chaldeans who were found there, uh, the men of war. See, Gedaliah wanted to help the remnant in Judah, you know, survive, to do well. You know, uh, we remember that the, the poor people are the ones that were left in, in Judah. And, and so he said, yeah, yeah, I'm in charge here. Let me help you guys. But, you know, as, as nice of a guy as Gedaliah might have been, he was naive. Didn't believe that anyone would want to harm him. He should have listened to what Johanan said and took precautions, but he didn't. You know, that scripture, the name Ishmael, is always linked with the flesh. You know, and working in the flesh, and, and Ishmael, you know, was no different. Look at verse 4, it says, And it happened on the second day, after he had killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it. So back then, the, the news cycle was a little bit slower. You didn't have Facebook. You couldn't make a post that said, you know, Gedaliah is dead, happy face, heart of the post, you know, tweet, Snapchat, whatever you, you do with that stuff. Now, news traveled much slower back then. So we read, The second day after he killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it, verse 5, that a certain man, certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, 80 men with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. So these Samaritans wanted to visit the site of the former temple in Jerusalem. Not a bad thing. You know, there's been so much turmoil, so much things going on, and they go, and we remember the temple. Let's, let's make our way there. They had no clue what was going on once they got there. They had no clue what Ishmael had done. They wanted to mourn uh, the temple's destruction. The fall of the temple occurred on the ninth day of the month of Ab in 586 B.C., uh, the ninth of Ab is, is still a day of mourning for the Jews. This year, 2019, it'll be, you know, 6 p.m. August 11 to 6 p.m. August 10 to 6 p.m. August 11. And, and it's just, it's interesting, just months after the temple's destruction, its ruins were considered sacred. Same case today. 70 AD, the Romans demolished, you know, the rebuilt temple, and all that's left is that single retaining wall, yet the western wall attracts pilgrims from all over the planet. People come and they pray at the welling wall. This was the, the desire of these Shechemites from, from Shiloh. Again, they had no clue what Ishmael had done. So verse 6 says, Now Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, <laughs> weeping as he went along, and it happened as he met them that he said to them, Come to get Eliah, the son of Ahiakim. I mean, he's not only a murderer, he's a conniving, greedy hypocrite. He's trying to trick these 80 men from Shechem that he too is just mourning over the destruction of the temple and how sad it is. And, and he greets them in tears. Oh, let's, let's all go together and let's mourn together. And sad, so sad to see what happened. And let's go see Gedaliah and let's talk to him about it. Same guy that, that's dead. Okay, so verse 7. So it was when they came into the midst of the city that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, killed them and cast them into the midst of a pit, he and the men who were with them. Just brutal, ruthless. Ishmael's crew killed the men from Shechem just to cover up the assassination of, of Gedaliah. Verse 8, But ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, Do not kill us, for we have treasures of wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. So he desisted and did not kill them among the brethren. So it's customary, if you're making a trip like that, that you're going to bring supplies for the return trip home. Well, ten of the men from Shechem said, You know what, let's use these groceries to barter so we don't lose our lives. And and, uh, you know, let's just add greed to Ishmael's list of crimes. Verse 9. 
Now the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men who he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one Asa the king had made for fear of Vasha king of Israel. Ishmael the son of Nathaniah filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah. The king's daughters and all the people who remained in Mizpah whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. Now, it is thought that Jeremiah might have been in with that group that, that, that they're taking these captives to, to, to Ammon. And so Ishmael thinks he's got things all under control. He's, he's got everything he came to accomplish. Now he's fleeing to Ammon with hostages. But, verse 11, But when Johanan... Same guy that warned, you know, that he, Ishmael was going to kill uh, uh, Gedaliah. When Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done, they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. So it was when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces who were with him, that they were glad. They go, Yeah! We're going to be set free. Jeremiah and the other Jews are rejoicing. Deliverance has come by the hand of Johanan. Again, this is the same Johanan that had warned Gedaliah of Ishmael's plan, but, but Gedaliah didn't believe him and it cost him his life. And, and you know, Gedaliah had been gullible. Understand, not everyone has good intentions. One biblical truth that we know is that every human is born a sinner and is capable of deception. We know that we read earlier in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why Jesus told his followers to, in Matthew 10, 16, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I mean, think about what, what Jesus says. Uh, you know, a snake, you'd think, would be just at a horrible disadvantage crawling around on its ground, but, but it lays low and it's got these street smarts and it knows how to survive. And the other thing, a dove is harmless. It avoids unnecessary conflict. So Gedaliah's lack of discernment became his death sentence. And now here is Johanan trying to clean up the damage. Loyal Israeli soldiers led by Johanan pursue Ishmael and his men and, and overtook them. The hostages were freed and most of Ishmael's men were killed. But we'll read that Ishmael escapes. Look at verse 14. Then all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanan the son of Kareah. But Ishmael the son of Nethaniah escaped from Johanan with eight men and one to the Ammonites. Then Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces that were with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael the son of Nethaniah after he had murdered Gedaliah the son of Ahiakim, the mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought back from Gibeon. And they departed and they dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem, as they were on their way to Egypt. Just think about that for a moment. Because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, who the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. Now, it would make sense that the Babylonians would want to come and get revenge uh, for Ishmael's rebellion and the killing of Gedaliah and the other captives. At least that was the, the working theory. So they thought, well, let's flee to Egypt. And that's what we just read. But here's the irony of ironies. 860 years earlier, God had delivered them from Egypt. Now the Jews are wanting to go back to where they started from, back to Egypt. To them, it goes, oh, this looks like a logical place. 
The, the, the Egyptians, they were a part of that original anti-Babylon alliance. Things are cool in Egypt. There's never any war in Egypt. There's plenty to eat in Egypt. Sounds awful a lot like when the children of Israel first left Egypt and they said, well, let's go back. There was a leak there and the food was great there. Now, gee, Egypt in the Bible is a picture of our flesh, our sin nature. Moses brought the children of Israel out of bondage of Egypt. Jesus died on the cross to free us from the bondage of sin. It's not good to look back at those old sinful ways. Proverbs 26, 11 tells us, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. I think it's a lesson for all of us. When things get tough, don't go back to your, to your old life. Don't deal with the trials and the struggles you, you, the same way you did before you came to faith. Don't look to, you know, alcohol to serve your problems. Oh man, this is really, really tough time. I think I need a drink. That's going backwards. We need to keep moving forwards. Otherwise we'll end up back in the very same bondage we escaped from. Now this brings us to chapter 42. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Korea, Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please, let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which you should walk and the thing we should do. As I started the study tonight, this is what I'm talking about doesn't do you any good to go to God in prayer and ask Him to bless the plans that you've already made. These are the plans I'm going to make. This is what I'm going to do, God, so I want you to bless it. I mean, no use going to God in prayer unless you're willing to hear Him and do what He says. The heart that says, no matter what, Lord, direction you teach, whatever, what, what direction you show me, I'm going to go that way no matter what the cost of the consequences. When we read in, in chapter 41 that they were fleeing to Egypt, But now in chapter 42, they're asking Jeremiah to ask the Lord, really, if they should flee to Egypt. They were doing what they wanted to do regardless of what the Lord would have them to do. And now they're asking God to bless it. Lord, I started dating this non-believer. And so, Lord, would you just bless it? (laughs) Wait a minute. Same type of thing. Lord, I just bought this new car. I can't afford it, but, but just bless it. Doesn't work that way. Again, it doesn't do you any good to go in God in prayer and ask Him to bless the plans that you've already made and you've already done that you haven't even asked Him for in the first place. Nor, nor do you have a desire to obey Him. Well, if God tells me, no, I, I'm going to do it anyway. I know it's, it's, it's sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. You hear that a lot. Well, I, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. So you're open rebellion against what God says. Well, verse 4, Jeremiah says, sure, I'll go to the Lord and ask if you should flee to Egypt. Verse 4. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard. Indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. You liars. True, they had put their lives on the line to avenge the murder of Gedaliah and the others. No one could accuse them of being apathetic. They were serving God in the very thick of it. Yet for all that, they really didn't have the desire to obey God in all things, just some things. If they thought they could benefit from it, they'll obey God. Uh, this, this works for me, I'll obey you, God. But, but when it doesn't, if it doesn't work for me, then, then, then I, I can't obey you. 
I think of the rich young ruler when I think of something like that. You know, he came to Jesus and asked, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And, and uh, he'd been doing a lot by keeping God's commandments, at least outwardly. And Jesus told him, well, you lack one thing. Sell what you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He couldn't do that one thing. Not that one thing. Unwilling to obey the Lord. Mostly obedient. But when Jesus told him, what to do, he refused. You know, it's been said partial obedience is disobedience. If you say, Lord, whatever you'll have me to do, then then say, accept uh, that, Lord. Uh, not so, Lord. Then is he really your Lord? Verse 7. And it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, I love that verse because it shatters a lot of our misconceptions about prayer. So often when we pray, we expect God to answer immediately. And, and, and if He doesn't, then we kind of can misrepresent or misinterpret rather God's will for our lives. Whenever you pray, be prepared, prepared to wait for an answer. Sometimes it can take 10 days, even 10 months. But Jesus did say this, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened in Luke 11. Literally, in the Greek, and we talked about this last night at our men's study, everyone who keeps on asking receives. Everyone who keeps on seeking finds. Everyone who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. God is a rewarder of our persistent prayer. And it's not because his arm's got to be twisted. Oh, okay, fine. You know, it's not because, no, it's because of us and how it changes us. And it, God's waiting for that humility and, and, and that uh, just relinquish, surrender, Lord, whatever your will is. Persistent prayer doesn't overcome God's reluctance. It proves our dependence. So what was God's answer to whether they should flee to Egypt or not? We'll look at verse 8. Then he called Johanan, the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, and said to them, this is Jeremiah saying to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land then I will build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the, the disaster that I brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. The answer you need to stay there in Jerusalem. You need to stay put. You need to stay home. Don't move away. One, once a police officer noticed a little boy circling the block and we, we walked the sidewalk six or seven times. Uh, they watched him. The officer asked him that what he was doing and the little guy said, well, I'm running away from home. The policeman said, well, you're not getting very far. And the boy replied, well, you're right. My mom says I can't cross the street. <laughs> Obedience kept him close to home. As it is with us. The key to to the Christian life was abiding in Christ, abiding in His warm, staying in His Word, staying close to home, you know, close to the Lord. Jude 21 tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God. To know that you belong to Christ and walk in that assurance and to never turn your back on that relationship with Him. And just as we are called to live for Christ, God called these Jews to live in their land, the land that He promised them. If they just trust Him, remain there, He would protect them, and He would bless them. But if they don't, all the hardship they feared from the Babylonians would, would fall upon them in Egypt. Look at verse 13. 
But if you say, well, we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell, then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus is the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine and pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, As my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. And you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. Notice in verse 18, God says, When you enter Egypt. He knew what they were going to do. He knew what they were going to do before they did it. He knew that they were bent on going despite his word and warning. They had already decided and the Lord knew it. So why did they ask Jeremiah to pray? Well, you know, maybe they thought they had a 50-50 chance that God would agree with them. Plus it gave them the appearance of being spiritual. Sadly, people today, they like to, to keep up the, the, their appearances. Well, Jeremiah saw right through it as well and lets them have it. Look at verse 19. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. Ouch. You were hypocrites in your hearts. Busted. Jeremiah knew they had no intention of staying in the land, no matter what Jeremiah would tell them. And all that comes back to their unwillingness to trust God. If we are going to, to, to expect to see our prayers answered, then we have to be willing to do what the Lord says when He answers our prayer. Verse 21, Jeremiah says, And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, or anything which He has sent you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, in the place where you desire to go to dwell. Again, what good is it to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you say, and the Lord says, do this, and you don't do it. Thanks, I'm not a servant. A servant does whatever his master tells him to do. Right, chapter 43. What do you do when God's plans are not your plans and you don't want to obey? Well, you blame someone else. Look at verse 1. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, all these words, that Azariah, the son of Hoshaiah, the Johanna, the son of Kareah, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. Oh, man. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, Do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. They're calling Jeremiah a liar. You know, when God reveals His will, His plan, and you are unwilling to follow it, Many times you need an excuse. You need a, a scapegoat. You need to blame someone else or something else because you admit the truth, the only, only, only place to repent and, and do God's will. 
You know, I've had people come in and, and in marriage counseling and, you know, we, we, we want to get a divorce. You know, you know, you know I just I can't stay with this person any longer. Well, you know, the Bible says you have no grounds for divorce. You can't, you can't split up. There's no grounds for divorce. I don't like that counsel. Who do you think you are? And, and, you know, it's like, wait a minute. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I've been in situations like that more times than I like to, to, to mention where, where you share with someone what God's Word says and, 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 and what according to God's Word they should do. And instead of doing it, you know, they, they blame me for the wrong counsel. It's the old saying, don't shoot me, I'm only the messenger. Because they don't want to hear. They don't want to do what God's Word says. They want to do their own thing. Well, Jeremiah was shot at many times for just bringing God's message to the people. Johanan, who started out wanting to do the right thing, trying to save Gedekiah's life and rescuing the people from Ishmael, now has turned to his own ways, his own agenda, doing what he wants to do. Very sad. Verse 4. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces, and all the people who would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been driven. Men, women, children, the king's daughters, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, that's a Babylonian guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shephan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Ta- uh, Taphanes. I think verse 7 is one of the saddest verses in, in the scriptures. Not, you know, They went to the land of Egypt, for they did not Obey the voice of the Lord. Nine centuries after God brought the Hebrews out of Egypt, they're now retreating to where they started. This uh, uh, Taphanes was the capital of Egypt at the time. It was the site of the Pharaoh's palace and it was uh, situated in the northeast corner of Egypt, the land of Goshen, the region where the Hebrews actually lived as slaves. Going right back there. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and Taphanes saying, Take large stones in your hand, and hide them in the side of the men of Judah, in the clay in the brick courtyard, which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house in Tappanhast. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal pavilion over them. When he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death, and the captivity those appointed for captivity, and to the sword those appointed for the sword." The Jews were running to Egypt, trying to escape the Chaldean king, Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't realize Egypt was the, the next hit list on, on uh, Babylonian, Babylonian's hit list. Jerusalem fell in 586. History tells us that, that the 18 years later, Babylon conquered Egypt. If they would have just stayed in Jerusalem, they would have lived. Just stayed and done what God had called them to do, they would have survived. Verse 12, I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment and he shall go out from there in peace. He shall also break the sacred pillars of Beth Shemesh that are in the land of Egypt and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians he shall burn with fire. These sacred pillars that they talk about here are some 90 feet high dedicated to the, to the uh, sun god Ra. And the Lord is saying these pillars are going to be broken and Egypt's temples are going to be burned. See, you can't say that God was, was silent or secretive. He was constantly trying to communicate to his people what's going to happen because of their disobedience. 
You know, sometimes acts as though God is, is silent or that he will, he, uh, His will is a secret and we can't figure it out. But usually what it comes down to is that we're not willing to do what the Lord says when He does answer. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's worry, maybe it's pride uh, that can make us unwilling, which is often exactly why God might you know, direct us in a certain way in the first place. He may want us to exercise our faith to overcome fear. To exercise our faith to overcome worry and pride. And afterwards we can look back and go, man, look God, what you have done, you've taken me through that trial, that circumstance for my good. And it helps us to realize that, that, that now even though we only see the current situation we're in, to borrow a phrase from a popular movie, God's looking at the end games. He knows. He knows the end of the story. He knows how it's going to play out in our lives. So when it comes to our lives, we must trust God who sees the whole story. But God has more to say about this to Jeremiah. Now let's look at chapter 44, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal, at Tapanese, at Naf, and in the country of Pathros, saying... Uh, now originally, the Egyptian-bound Jews, they settled in, in, in Tapanes. They eventually moved into the interior Naf was the ancient city of Memphis, just a center of Egyptian idolatry. So the Lord tells Jeremiah to warn these Jews that fled to Egypt in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you've seen all the calamity that are brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation and no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger and that they want to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. And thus they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. Just a history lesson of what God, is, what God has done. And letting them, reminding them of what God has done. Verse 7. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves? To cut off from you man and woman, child and infant, out of Judah, leaving none to remain, in that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be accursed and reproach among all the nations of the earth. I mean, they got there to Egypt, and what do they do? They go right back into worshiping false gods, the false gods of Egypt. We've all heard uh, the history teachers say, those who refuse to learn from history are destined to repeat it. This had happened to the Jews, and God judged them because of their idolatry. Now they're, they're repeating their sin all over again. Verse 9 says, the Lord says, Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers? the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness and the wickedness of your wives which they committed in the land of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or my statute that I have set before you and your fathers. I mean, it all comes out. The real reason they left to go to Egypt so they can continue in their sin. Not, they have not learned anything from God's discipline. If that's not hardness of heart, I, I don't know what is. Therefore, the Lord says in verse 11, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. 
And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go to the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine. And there shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. So that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. It's just a warning. But in the warning, God was still seeking to penetrate their hard hearts. God's warnings are for our own good. I mean, if you're traveling, you see a sign that says bridge out. I mean, you put the pedal to the metal and go, oh, Mo Dart, Mo Dart must be playing a tra- trick on me, you know. Oh, they're just kidding around. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it wasn't just that God was offended by their sin. God knows that sin leads to destruction. He knows that it's harmful. A lot of times people think of God as being this, this prude, cosmic killjoy. Oh, he just doesn't want us to have any fun. The truth is God knows that we're spiritual beings. And we were created to have a relationship with them. But if your heart remains hard, you'll never be whole. And here's what's amazing. After seeing all the destruction brought on by the Babylonians because of their sin, here Jeremiah is once and he's given them this warning and they're still choosing sin over obedience. Jeremiah says, just because you're in Egypt doesn't mean you're safe. Because of your idolatry uh, and, and sin, you're in trouble. So how do they respond? I mean, all this, what do they do? They mock Jeremiah. Look at, and then verse 15 we read, Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathos, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our mouth to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes, and the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, were well off, and saw no trouble. In your face, God. I mean, that's what they're doing. They had forgotten about the bloodshed in the streets of Jerusalem. They're pursuing idols in Egypt. They're paying homage to, to the Queen of Heaven, it says there. Now, the, the Queen of Heaven... It's, it's a goddess that goes by many names. There's the Astarte to the Hebrews, Ishtar to the Canaanites, Isis to the Egyptians, Diana to the Greeks, Artemis to the Romans, Semiramis to the Babylonians. I mean, this is just a, a pagan god. She was a goddess of fertility. She controlled the rains and, and the seasons. And sadly, she is still around today. New Age advocates worship Mother Earth. You know, the Mother Earth, she's the, the Queen of Heaven. and the, Actually, the title, Queen of Heaven has been taken in the Roman Catholics. We've heard her talk to Mary, the mother of Jesus now. We realize Jesus' mom is not the queen of heaven. She's a resident. She's a worshiper. But she's nobody's queen. It's blasphemous to call her that. It's a pagan title with idolatrous implications. Mary was a servant, not a queen. And they're saying here, since we've been worshiping the queen of heaven, everything has been going good. We have plenty of food. We're well off. We have no trouble. You know, I think when I was a kid, you know, we'd, you know, we'd look for a parking space. I've shared this before. We'd have to pray. Hail Mary, full of grace. Help us find a parking space. That's our good luck charm. Mary's our good luck charm. 
And all this is just dumb superstition. You know, people, we live in, with very superstitious people. I mean, just watch baseball players. They have their, their little rituals, you know. They'll make their, the, the Catholic sign of the cross and they get, get ready to, you know, hit, hit, hit a home run or something. And, it, you know, and they have their little superstition because it's followed by something that, that could happen. Now people say, well, this is my lucky jersey. I wear it every time the Chiefs play. Until they lose, then it's no longer your lucky jersey, you know. Something bad happens, we wonder what it was that we did that triggered it, and we don't want to do it again. And something good happens, we wonder what it was that we caused it to happen, and we want to do that again. We need to stop thinking like that. In reality, God is going to sometimes allow good things to happen because we've obeyed Him, but sometimes He's going to allow good things to happen simply out of His grace for no good reason at all. And He'll allow sometimes... Bad things happen because we've disobeyed Him and He's trying to get our attention and turn our lives around. But He'll also allow difficult times to come into our lives for no other reason than to grow us up and teach us to endure tough times. We shouldn't do things for the results. We should do things because they are the right things to do, because they, they please the Lord. Well, verse 18, they go on. But since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. I mean, here's just a, an example of, of revisionist history. Uh, the opposite was true. Idolatry was the reason they lost everything. Verse 19. And the woman also said, And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? <laughs> I mean, here they are they're bragging about being defiant to their husbands. I mean, they felt just emboldened, you know, that, that, that we worship the Queen of Heaven, that we no longer need to listen or fall under the authority of our husbands. You know, the Bible teaches that husbands and wives, they have their distinct roles in a marriage relationship. They're, they're complementary. Husbands lead the wives, and, and wives should support that leadership as Scripture teaches. Paul writes in Ephesians that, that before any word of submission, that we're to submit one to another in the fear of God. But then he goes on to say, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. See, marriage models our relationship with God. Marriage is a, is a picture of God and his people. That's why a husband should lead his wife, and the wife should follow. But it's doing what God has called us to do. The problem is too many men like the idea of telling their wives, you need to be submissive, you know, which destroys the whole purpose of this whole thing. I like the story I read about a man from Texas, a man from Florida, and a man from Missouri. They got acquainted and started talking about the problems with their wives. Well, the guy from Texas began saying, I told my wife clearly that from now on she would have to do all the cooking. Well, the first day after I told her this, I saw nothing. The second day I saw nothing, but on the third day when I came home from work, the table was set and a wonderful dinner was prepared with steak and potatoes and even a dessert. The man from Florida spoke up and said, well, I sat my wife down and I told her that from now on she would have to do all the grocery shopping and all the house cleaning. The first day I saw nothing. The second day I saw nothing. But the third day when I came home, the whole house was spotless and in the pantry the shelves were filled with groceries. The guy from Missouri was married to a woman who had grown up in Missouri all her life and he sat, sat up straight at the bar so pushed out his chest and said, uh, I gave my wife a stern look and told her that from now on she would have to do the cooking, shopping and the house cleaning. Well, the first day I saw nothing. The second day I saw nothing. By the third day, I could see a little bit out of my left eye. Not so much out of my right eye. Listen, submission is first to God 
and then to others. Colossians 3.18 tells us, Wives, submit your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. It's fitting for a wife to submit to her husband's leadership. But when her husband asks her to do something not according to God's character, then it's not fitting. If a person to whom we are to submit to be a boss, a husband, a teacher, and they ask us to do something contrary to the word of God, then we need to add it to the apostle Paul had with the Jewish elders, you know, when they commanded him to stop talking about Jesus. Peter and the apostles and the other apostles answered in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Well, these ladies were doing neither, and they were proud of it. Now, if I'm reading this correctly, Jeremiah confronted the people as they were busy celebrating a feast to the moon goddess, the queen of heaven. He caught them red-handed, and they weren't going to stop. They'd already heard the words of the Lord in verses 1 to 14, that this, that this was their decision to go on even deeper into the idolatry. So being set in their ways, in the hardest of the hearts, Jeremiah has this to say to them in verse 20. That Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men and the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying, The incense that you burn in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? And did it not come into his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evils of your doings and because of the abominations you committed. Therefore, your land is a desolation, an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is this day. Because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law, in his statutes or in his testimonies, therefore this calamity has happened to you at this day. Again, God just reminding them of his history. Verse 24. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to the woman, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. I, I want to keep pointing out that the, the Jews are making it their choice. God was graciously seeking repentance, but they kept saying, no, we are going to do this no matter what. And God says, you are surely keep your vows to the queen of heaven, perform your vows, so I'm going to do what i got to do. Look at verse 26. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah and all the land of Egypt, saying, the Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. God ramped it up. Terrible things were in store for this tiny remnant of them. They needed to get out of Dodge City. And remember, being in Egypt was no good for the Jews. It only corrupted their, 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 them even further. And life in Judah, tough as it would be, was the answer. But they would have none of it. Their hearts were too hard. So God says, enough is enough. You know, even as believers, I think, you know, believers and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we can still have that hardness of our hearts. When God is gracious enough to reveal things into our lives, to penetrate the hardness of our hearts for our own good. And we have a choice. Do, do, we, do we, you know, confess? You know, do we ask God to soften our hearts and open our ears and do we obey or do we get harder and harder on it? I think of a, a, this way. If your physician diagnosed you with blocked arteries and recommended surgery, you'd probably agree to it, desiring a better life, a better quality of life, before you go under the knife, so to speak. 
There's all sorts of, of waivers given the doctrine of agent's permission to operate. And, and until you sign that, uh, that physician is powerless to, to intervene, he can't do anything. And it's a little like what this, that with God, who is, of course, is our great physician, and we have his word to provide the diagnosis. But if we won't hear it, if we don't allow him to examine us, if we don't give him permission to operate in our hearts, then we're not going to receive all that he has for us. And all that he has for us is the best thing for us. And sadly, we have that same tendency to hear God, but then to seek a second opinion, and usually it's our own, and... Uh, listen, it's better to be compliant and sign off each time with Dr. Jesus as he reveals something to us rather than to try and go our own way. Finally, verse 28. Yet a small number who escaped the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah and all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose words will stand. Mine are theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh, Hopper, king of Egypt, into the hand of the enemies, into the hand of those who seek his life. As I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. Pharaoh, Hopper's Greek name was Apres. He died in an Egyptian civil war, which then led to the Babylon and uh, for ba- led the way for Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar to invade Egypt in 568 BC. So chronologically, this is the last of Jeremiah's prophecies. What, what happened to this great man of God afterwards? We really just don't know. There's many theories. Some historians say he was stoned there in Egypt at Tapanese for speaking out against idolatry, and that certainly makes sense. You heard how angry they were with him when he said what they were doing was wrong. Other people say that he joined the Jews back in Babylon, but the scriptures really are are silent concerning his death. But it is a a tribute to him, this this great man of God, that that Jeremiah, uh, I mean, his whole life is standing strong for God and speaking the truth boldly against the idolatry of his own people. May we be like Jeremiah standing strong in these last days, even if, even if everyone is against us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, this night, Lord. We thank you that, Lord, your word has something to say to each one of our hearts. Lord, and as we listened and as we heard, Lord, uh, maybe there's areas in our lives that we have hardness of hearts that we need to, to soften and we need to obey, Lord. Maybe there's things in our lives that you showed us, Lord, and we're, we're not following through. We're doing our own will and instead of your will. Lord, help us not to have those hard hearts. To be sensitive to your spirit, to your leading, to your guiding. Lord, help us not to have idols in our hearts. Things set up, Lord, that, that would take the place of and, and have anything with, between us and you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you for blessing us with the worship with Ken and Monica. Lord, bless the remainder of their time here, we pray. Uh, Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.